Hello, welcome back to another series of the Ripple in Pages podcast. It's series four and I'm absolutely delighted to have you here. I'm Liam Bishop, a writer and critic from Leeds, and today I'm joined by Serafina Madsen. The Guardian has called 2023 the year of Witchlit. Serafina with Aurora is arguably one of 2023's early proponents of it. Aurora, raised by her grandmother in a poor Christian community in Arizona, eventually finds her way to an elite prep school. At first, she reads theories on psychology and existentialism before her education takes a darker path into the teachings of the occult. You'd be naive, however, to think this is a novel about fearing the witch. Instead, Aurora teaches us about the malevolent forces working in front of our very eyes that we choose to turn a blind eye to every day. Following Dodge and Burn that was selected, the Republic of Consciousness longlist, this is Serafina's second novel. Both of them are published by Dodo Inc. Serafina, join me from London. So this novel has arrived in a year heralded as the year of Witchlit. How does it feel to be caught up in this? I wasn't aware that there was a Witchlit sort of popularity movement happening um, until I had an event at Boyle's for the launch of Aurora. So that wasn't in my mind when I was writing it. Witchcraft and paganism in the style of Carlos Castaneda has, that's sort of fueled my writing from the beginning um, with my first novel. So it was a continuation of that, really. Did you set out with a witch in mind or did that term, did that character come come later? No, it was more, I set out with more in mind of a djinn who's the narrator of the story because I was pretty fascinated with the idea of what is real and what isn't real, what people perceive to be real and not real. And when you look at Christianity, angels are real, God is real, this figure of God as as a man up in the sky. And in the Quran, jinns are real. So I wanted to sort of investigate that and look at that, what people actually believe is real, because I have friends who believe 100% that jinns are real. And who am I to say that they aren't? We haven't been able to prove that jinns are not real. We haven't been able to prove that angels aren't real. Well, Aurora comes from, she's born into a uh, evangelical Christian community. And it's interesting, I think, that you set her early life. So you tell the story, don't you, from her birth. And it's interesting that you choose to start this within a evangelical Christian uh, community. Was that intentional or was this, is this more about challenging a worldview that is set within specific ideas of what is real and what isn't real? Yes, it does have to do with belief systems. And also in the US, the evangelical um, culture is really large. And it's something that I I don't know, I wanted to look at it because it was something that was a bit sort of scary to me. So she is born into evangelical sort of trailer trash she's she grows up um in a trailer park she's third generation quote-unquote trailer trash and I wanted to have the idea of this fairy tale where she's the child is born in 
I don't know, in a little muddy, deprived village or something like Cinderella and finds her way into the castle with the prince, but in a modern version, but also in a way that was ironic and satirical. But she is, so I was also looking at the idea of the social mobility that happens in fairy tales and is supposed to be being wealthy and making it to the castle is supposed to make you happy and happily ever after and all that kind of thing. So I was looking at that, which is a social mobility that you can see in the U.S., the whole idea of the American dream has to do with that coming from nothing and working hard and being able to afford your own castle with a swimming pool and a Ferrari. <laughs> castle and a Ferrari. Um, well, well, Aurora, she, um, she makes it, makes her way, doesn't she, to an expensive prep school and her and her grandmother helps to get her there. And, it, well, on appearance, it looks like she leaves behind this 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 quite evangelical Christian culture. Yeah, I did want to touch on the the indoctrination that could happen when you're in an evangelical when you grow up in an evangelical society. What happens potentially when the person who's been indoctrinated grows up and looks reads things and looks to other ideas. Um, about what is real and what isn't real and what they want to believe. So it was also that sort of journey that she's gone on and indoctrinated into the evangelical beliefs so much so that she would want to die for Jesus. And then reading herself, choosing the books that she wants to read herself, educating herself and realizing that maybe she isn't evangelical in her beliefs and maybe she is pagan maybe she believes in something else yeah that's quite a nice way of putting it maybe she isn't evangelical in her beliefs and there seems to be something in this novel about evangelicalism if you want to call it or a kind of doctrine a doctrinal way of thinking that this novel critique or certainly rails against in some form And there seems to be something here about how we access ideas, how we access knowledge about the world, and in turn, ourselves. I wonder if at this point you could just give us a bit more of an insight into some of the books and the the theories and the philosophy that she reads uh, and the significance of those. She begins to read books that she finds interesting, just books on history, like, for example, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, um, which is a Native American history of how the United States became the United States with the genocide that happened against the Native American people. That's just one example, which made her realize that the country that she grew up in was actually founded on the death of the Native people who lived there. Um, Then when she goes to the prep school and she's reading sort of um, books about witchcraft and um, with the friend that she meets this is opening her mind to different ways of thinking 
reading Joseph Campbell uh, about myth and the and other kinds of books related to that Greek myths and realizing that there's another world out there that there's another history out there rather than the Bible the history that the Bible portrays and opening her mind to all these different ideas that's something that happened to me and happened to a lot of people I think when they sort of leave the nest as it were and begin to educate themselves with books that they find themselves that they find interesting this teenage place of everything is very new and you're constructing your reality um out of things that you've learned yeah do you think um do you think adolescence it gives a particular uh access to that it's a particular time you know when that where you are trying to create your own sense of the world yeah i think that is a time in most people's lives when you're questioning a lot of things you're very curious you're sort of going outside perhaps the boundaries that your parents have taught you uh, that your school has taught you you want to experiment with things I mean maybe not all teenagers but definitely when I was growing up and the teenagers that I was surrounded with that was a time for experimentation and just a bit of rebellion i mean what do you think about aurora sort of exploring these um things that might be associated with i don't know uh the occult and, and the devil and that kind of thing well i don't look at the occult as really being associated with the devil i think that what we consider to be witchcraft began probably when we were living in caves and making cave paintings. It's this human desire to change our environment around us, to bend the environment to our will, to make reality as we wish it to be. I think that's at the heart of witchcraft. A lot of a lot of the medieval books on witchcraft which are sort of the typical witchcraft that we think of. These came from Egyptian, the Book of the Dead, the spells that you find there, the amulets that people would make, um, the curses that people would make also in ancient um, Greece. And you see this in the ancient Greek mythology, uh, the spells, the curses, all of that kind of thing. That's part of what we consider to be witchcraft today or it's a filtering down of what we consider to be witchcraft today um which i think must have begun with our ancestors in the caves painting the figures that they painted on the walls i think that they were trying to perhaps draw draw something into being to bend the outside to their will um so I think it's something that's probably very primal in us we want to change fate or change destiny or change our our path in life um and calling on these natural forces which paganism which is where paganism comes in and is related to witchcraft because it is really being able to bend the forces of nature to your benefit 
And I think that has something quite powerful to say to people today as we're losing more and more of nature and we don't even really understand how nature works exactly. I guess tying into a sense of process, at least, it is just making me think about how you do write characters that are in, in you know, they are in the environment, they're, they're in the world, they're kind of searching it, they're exploring it, and the kind of intellectual exploration that they undertake does come with a sense of that they are exploring the world uh, as well. Um, and I don't know if, just because I was thinking to dodge and burn your first novel, uh, long listed for the Republic of Consciousness Prize, and that was centred on a road trip, uh, exploring the, the, the disappearance of a woman at the hands of a strange man called Dr. Vargas. Uh, and that again, that was, you know, that was full of ideas about countercultures and that kind of thing. But it just seemed to me that movement, being in the world, uh, seemed really important. Yeah, I love the idea of the road trip and of visiting other places, um, seeing other things, traveling, because it when you travel, it opens your mind up to new ideas. It opens you up to danger. Um, it opens you up to just so many things when you're able to travel and see other cultures and other ways of life. So it's something that I do like to incorporate in, well, I've, that I have incorporated into both of those novels. But the but Dodge and Burn was my fascination with the American road trip and with Kerouac's On the Road and how I sort of, I wanted to partially subvert Kerouac's On the Road, which was so focused around men and the women were just on the side and they didn't have any major part to play. Um, so I wanted to do a road trip novel where the protagonist was a woman um, to just subvert that whole idea like, the woman taking the wheel, whatever. What I wanted to subvert, because On the Road is just such an iconic, legendary novel. I just, I wanted to do something to subvert it. The the whole um, idea of having it be about a woman, a woman having the main story on the road trip because Kerouac's women are notoriously on the side as sort of props in a way. Um, it's a story really about the men, and I just thought it would be interesting and fun to make a story partially about a woman going on a road trip. As I said, there are some kind of journeys, not as extensive as a road trip, Um but there are what I find interesting is is that so obviously the the girls Sorora makes a friend and she Sylvia and then they, this expands to a wider group of friends and they start experimenting with I don't know what you call them um, when they start to kind of go into the realms of the unseen and that kind of thing. Yeah, they start experimenting with actually a lot of that comes from the spiritualist movement. Okay. Diane Dion Fortune wrote a few books which were supposedly one was fiction but some are non supposedly non-fiction about how to access other realms of reality which is part of magic 
Um, and so they were reading books like that and following them, the instructions on how to access other realms. Um, and that's, those are one of the forays that they had into what could be considered witchcraft. Um, but yeah, there's, there are a lot of the tenets of spiritualism in the book that they read about and experiment with. Hey there, just a quick message from me. And just to say, if you're really enjoying today's podcast, I'd be really grateful if you left a review on your favorite podcast provider. The Rippling Pages is all about letting writers talk about their craft so that you and other listeners can learn more about the art of literature. Leaving a review increases the reach of the podcast and hopefully means that more people will hear about the writer's work. Thanks very much, and it's just great to have you here. Well, it, it kind of comes across as a bit of a of a journey uh, in itself. And I don't, well, there's just a section here where you say the five girls came into a broken circle where they'd fallen onto the floor, one here, another there, wrists over ankles, arms over legs, uh, which is also a very nice instance of how really lovely pace and incantatory sort of feel of your senses. But And then you say, with the sensation that they had been far away away on a long journey and returned yeah that was when they had done it done something similar actually to what whirling dervishes do um, when you go around and round and you just pass out you can actually get into a REM state when you do that and you can have these visions um, that's what I was trying to replicate in that scene, that the girls were just spinning round and round and went into this other reality, um, this dream state reality, um, where they get into contact with some ancient Greek gods. And I, guess, I don't know, I mean, to go back to On the Road and the kind of road trip novel, there's kind of irony that underlies these novels, novels, isn't there? That no matter how far they travel, there's not they don't necessarily always always result or lead to a sense of greater enlightenment about the world in a way. The kind of the world still exists in a kind of some shitty form, you know. It's, it's still the kind of same prejudices, it's still the kind of same ideological issues. And I get, I don't know if there was a, as a sense of. Is it a journey that they're going on or is it a more sense of escape that they're after? I think what I wanted to capture was this longing to to know, to learn, to experience. And so you could say maybe it's both. I mean, they want to escape, but they also want excitement. They want to learn about the boundaries of reality because they've been reading these books that have been telling them that the reality that they know is not the only reality and the books are historical books um that and human beings have been speaking of these unseen realms since egyptian times at least um so the girls aren't they want to see if these realms do actually exist, if what it says in these books is true, is is um, whether it's possible to see these other realms. Um, so they're 
just experimenting really and they fall into it and they do end up seeing these other realms that have been spoken about by the ancient Egyptians, Buddhists, um, shamans. Is is this is this book a result of research or is it a result of a particular belief? Well, I am fascinated. I'm fascinated by um, the idea that there could be these other realms that the reality that we experience every day isn't necessarily the only reality. So it's something that I've been studying. I mean, I can't say that I necessarily believe in anything. I'm very skeptical. It's something that fascinates me that I have been reading about and studying um, for many, many years. So I don't have anything definitive to say. I can't say that I believe in it, but I believe that it's possible. According to quantum physics, there's a theory that we live in a reality with 10 dimensions. So who knows? I can say that I've myself and people that I know could possibly have visited other realms, but that's a thing you don't really know 100% if you have or not. You you can't really say with 100% certainty that you visited another realm. Okay. Are dreams other realms? I don't know. I think there's a pervasive sort of sadness through the novel. Anyway, uh, and it's what some of these girls experience and what people like these girls might experience. But the the, the final act is quite a, a, a sad and dark one in some respects. And I just wondered why uh, you chose to take it that way. Well, I think that life is difficult. Life is hard. Um, And so you don't ever want to write anything that's just all unicorns and rainbows. That's just not, that's just not reality. The djinn, historically, is a mischievous creature. So that is an aspect to the jinn's qualities and personality um and i wanted to remain true to that the jinn being very mischievous and dark it also has something to do with that just in life you can just get thrown these horrible curveballs that you don't see coming that you don't even know are there Sometimes, you know, sometimes when you sort of evoke the idea that you can be living through something and you think that the what you see as the reality is actually not the reality at all. I kind of what the an innocent worldview is not reality. It's this kind of well, and yeah, and um, having to do with the ending, it's I wanted to evoke the idea that what aurora thinks is the reality or what she possibly thinks is the reality because she's because of some kind of trickery or whatever isn't actually the reality and it's something that she's going to have to figure out i was also hoping with that ending to engage the reader more so that i don't know let the reader sort of think for themselves what is going to happen to sort of enter the novel and create 
their own continuation of it to sort of invite the reader to ponder on what happens next. And I guess um, you spoke about these this idea of the fairy tale. Um, and yes, the fairy tale idea, but as to subvert the fairy tale, there isn't a happily yeah, ever after. Um, the idea of the fairy tale and fairy tale elements was very strong in writing this. I did want to create a kind of modern day fairy tale. And yeah, well, yeah, I, I think, I, I mean, that, that wasn't apparent to me at first, but obviously speaking now, it's become apparent that that kind of structure wasn't there. And yeah, and, and I guess the fairy tale finishes with a nicely closed ending that usually leads to an uplifting moral about the world. Uh, but yeah, yeah life exactly. isn't like that. Life in life. Yes. In life. Fiction. Yeah, exactly. Life, and the idea, the idea of the prince that's going to um, sweep the woman away and take care of everything. The idea in fairy tales that there's this poor, beautiful young woman who meets the prince and falls in love and it's happily ever after that I was hoping to play with and subvert that idea in the novel as well. Some fantastic um, phrase making, which you which you bring over from uh, Dodge and Burn. There's some really wonderful uh, constructions. I'm, um, that, that I absolutely loved. I don't know how you, this really to keep the kind of pace and sort of very kind of figurative imagery and pace, whilst also these kind of very dense theoretical ideas. It's 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 really interesting to watch. Uh, what you do? Yeah, I hope I hope the novel does have some comedy in it. I I was trying to write comedy into it. Other people had told me that they did think it was funny that there were funny parts to it so it is sort of this hopefully comedy with horror and terror and excitement and adventure and witchcraft <laughs> yeah i mean it's there's a lot there's moments of lightness as the kind of companionship they get from the friends and kind of you know the, the, the finding a kind of a community of people that understand you and want to explore things with you that for me is what I sort of identified with that they um they just enjoyed Aurora and so they enjoyed experiencing the world and it came from you know backgrounds that didn't necessarily allow them to. And I think I think for me that's the kind of main thing that um I really enjoyed the kind of just the early parts actually where they're finding, you know, reading about Jung and the reading about surrealists and stuff. Um I really love that that just that kind of sense of what you know that feeling that we all have at some point in life we go oh wow this stuff exists this stuff's interesting exactly uh, yeah exactly I wanted to capture the the intensity and the excitement of discovering new things mm. and also the importance of sort of creating your own way your own way of seeing and and for your for a group of people how exciting and exhilarating that can be without becoming a cult of course <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely and, and then even when you get to that point you, you're not going oh wow why they you know they shouldn't be looking at this kind of stuff it's kind of like it's just an extension of the discovery and that's what in a way that's what you're kind of doing for us by presenting it on the page you are kind of in inviting us to come along with you down that's, this yeah that is what I was hoping to do I was hoping to have the reader 
enter into the circle of girls and feel like they were a part of them and go along with them. Yeah, it feels like it feels like you know, taking her hand in a way. Because um, it is a physical. It feels very physical, very embodied text as well. It feels like you're entering, you're walking into, you know, this this these worlds or new worlds that people are trying to experience. Serafina Madsen, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you about Aurora. Um, it's out now. It's published by Dodo Inc. It's a fantastic novel. Uh, and yeah, go out and buy it. But uh, for now, Serafina, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Liam. Once again, my thanks to Serafina for joining me. And of course, my thanks to you for joining us now as well. Next time, Mara Faye Leatham and Tiago Miller come along to discuss the Catalan literature in Translation.